Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and Vincent M. Wales is hanging out with me like he usually does. And we have a third this week, a gentleman by the name of Brent Williams. He's the author of Out of the Woods, which is a graphic novel which chronicles his personal journey dealing with depression. We're going to talk about that a little more later, but first, we'd like Brent to say hello. Hi, Vince. Hi, Gabe. Oh, you don't want me to say hello? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Dude, come on. Uh, we let you talk all the time, Vince. We're trying to be hospitable to, to our guests. So, mm. Brent, the, the first thing I want to say is our, our, our bumper, the, the nice lady that introduced the show, has a, has a fabulous English accent, and Vince and I don't have any accents, and so you are the first no. guest with an accent on the show. So we want you to talk a lot. Uh, I think Brent will disagree that we don't have accents, right, Brent? <laughs> Just slightly. Oh, dear. This is, a, this is an excellent example of, of context and perspective and probably male privilege, but we'll push that aside for a moment. Brent. Yeah, it's another topic. <laughs> altogether. It's another show. It's like another show. Uh, to, to segue in, you started off your career as a human rights attorney. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Can you tell us exactly what a human rights attorney is? Well, it probably is different things in different countries, but what I did, to be more specific, what I did here was I set up a community law centre in Wellington, which provided free advocacy, uh, support, and sort of community action in a legal sense to disadvantaged, vulnerable people. Anyone who wasn't able to access a lawyer easily, um, we were interested in, and that took us into areas of street kids, um, was a big area. Um, women who were suffering from family violence, um, children who are suffering from abuse and neglect, um, and people who were um, vulnerable in the sense of um, workers, workers' rights, tenants, people who have been, been um, not, you know, not getting into good housing situations because of tenancy situations. All those types of things were, were what I specialised in. So it was very, it's very local human rights. It wasn't sort of the national level of human rights that we perhaps now talk about in an international sense. It was helping people assert their rights. That was, that was really my, my interest in because I had a legal background. Um, you know, that, that gave me, that gave me some tools, if you like, to, and and a lot of passion to help people. It was yeah, it was exciting work. It was very it was very rewarding work. But as I later found out, it took its toll. <laughs> well, I can. One of the things that I was thinking while you were talking is that even if you were somebody that didn't have mental health issues, didn't suffer from depression, it it sounds like that could be very taxing work. It, it sounds like that could be hard on anybody, even the most mentally healthy amongst us. How did you handle that as somebody living with depression? Well, I didn't. I couldn't work. I literally hit a wall and was unable to do that, no matter how hard I pushed, how hard I tried. And because I'd spent a career helping others, it was like I hadn't. I sort of had no tools to help myself. Really, I just thought, well, I just got to push harder, work harder, I've got to get over this thing. You know, I'm not vulnerable. I'm the strong one. So, you know, all those issues were those personal issues were came to bear for me um, and that I was really poorly equipped. A lifetime of helping others meant that I had very few skills to help myself and it was very slow, very slow process of realization. 
Right. And, and, and that's chronicled quite well in, in your book. Brett, how long was it between when you stopped working and, and came to the realization that depression was what was behind everything for you? I think it was years. And it's sort of multi-leveled. I mean, at first I was in denial. So even though I had psychiatrists saying, you are depressed with long reports telling me how and why. I would read them as if I was reading a client, a report of one of my clients. I just, you know, I saw the word, I saw the diagnosis, it was clear. I couldn't take it in. So from that point right the way through to, you know, it, it was a very slow process of really realizing. It's like peeling layers off an onion, really, until you get to the soft stuff mm-hmm. in the middle. That's, you know, you're not really doing the work. You're just sort of, you're just picking around the edges and you're in denial, really. As much as I hate to say it, it, it's not uncommon for men, especially men that are in sort of authoritative positions, and, and we can find authority in almost anything we do, to think, oh, it's other people that have this problem. It's not us. We're the ones that help others. So it's, it's unfortunate yeah. because it delays us from getting help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I made resources about depression. I mean, I, I published a book on mental health and the law, and I did made videos on mental health issues. So you think I would have had an idea when this thing hit me of what was going on, but I had no idea. It just completely blindsided me. Depression is weird that way. And Gabe and I have discussed this in our personal conversations a lot. I've, I was diagnosed myself when I was in my 20s, you know, so mm. 30 years ago. And yet when it gets worse for me, I, I don't even recognize it until retrospect. Mm. It's like, geez, why did I not see that? This has happened so frequently. Mm. So yeah, we get mm. it. Are we saying that depression yeah. makes us not see straight? Like, like maybe it messes with our brains, like it's some sort of mental type illness. Could that be the conclusion? Here? <laughs> <laughs> Gabe, so let's, not, let's, not, let's not get crazy. Here. Come on. Exactly. Oh. And that's why I chose a graphic novel format in a way, because I could create this character, you know, this dark, sinister character that sort of is sort of is hanging on the back of a door in one of the scenes in a half formed state. Is it a coat? Is it depression? You know, mm-hmm. And where's the character gone? So to me, that captures it quite nicely. There's sort of this, this insidious nature of this illness. That, yeah, that it really, really is. Does. And of course, you just sort of answered the question I was going to ask, which was, why a graphic novel? I mean, many people who, mm. who have an experience such as yours do choose to, to write about it. And that's, mm. and that's great. But this, yours is the first I've seen that's, that's in a graphic novel format. And, and I was quite intrigued by that. Mm. Very much so. Well, I think I've, I mean, I, it really helped me to think visually, to visualize this thing, to put some shape around it. And to try and put shape around my emotions are very difficult things. And to illustrate them, to, to, to come up with forms, I think has just been so much, so much value to me to help understand my own depression. That's why I wrote the book. I wrote it to help myself, really. And then sure. it, along yeah. the way, it, it, it had another purpose. But the other, the other very practical reason is that when I was depressed, I couldn't read. I mean, I came from a reading background. Law was my background. I could not read words. They just made no sense. I couldn't finish a, uh, one line of a sentence oh. without having to go back and try and decipher it. So to me, when I wanted to to write, it was to write a book to help other people. I knew that it had to be visual to help them. It, it had to be very simple and it had to sort of grab them emotionally and with, with, with pictures rather than, rather than words. 
That's incredible. So we're going to step away for a second. But when we come back, I want to hear about how journaling and the process of writing the book helped you manage depression and anxiety. So we're going to step away and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face session. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central. Hey, fans of the Psych Central Show podcast. We are currently surveying our listeners to learn more about you and to learn what we can do better. Please take a few minutes and visit our website at psychcentral.com slash show and click on listener survey link found on that page. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. So let's talk about journaling. And the reason that I want to talk about journaling is because during your pre-interview, you said that, that you journaled to help manage depression and anxiety. And this This stuck out in my mind for a a very, very important reason. When I was first diagnosed with bipolar disorder, a therapist said, you need to keep a mood diary. And, you know, I was Mm -hmm. was 25 years old. I was, I was manly and I rejected this with every fiber of my stereotypically unwoke male being because I was like, I can't keep a diary. That's what do you, what what, what craziness is this? Like, what am I 12? Well, right, right. I just, I, I thought, I just thought it was the dumbest idea that I had honestly ever heard. And I now say this has been the most incredible tool that I have in my Mm. toolbox. I I keep Mm. so much in it. And you know, I'm not writing my feelings. I'm not writing poems. I'm not, you know, you can, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I write down whether I had a good day or a bad day, how much sleep I got. Mm. And it's just, it's been such a profound tool for me that I'm I'm really a huge proponent Mm. of it. And I believe you are too. So yeah. So tell us, tell us about the process of that. Tell us how you discovered it. Just, you know, share with us. We, we want to, we want to learn from you. Well, I wasn't a writer. I didn't have a history of writing diaries or anything. I mean, I wrote very practical things or legal things. So this wasn't something I had a history of, I wasn't familiar with it, but somehow, and I can't, I don't know how I got the inspiration to do it. I know I was very isolated. I know I was cut off from everybody. I think I needed a companion. And I had all this stuff going on on my head and all these feelings, and I somehow needed to get it out. And luckily, I found that I started writing. And it just poured out in all sorts of ways. And what I wrote was just so helpful when I look back. It it was sort of, I think I found wisdom in my writing. It was like a wiser voice, a wiser self came through my writing. I can can relate to that, right? Yeah. Writing is a very cathartic thing. Um, yeah, but it really surprised me because I wasn't a writer. I had no history of doing it. So Sure. Yeah. But when I started it, it was it, it was just truly cathartic. It was. But at a very practical level, it got me out of bed in the morning. I mean, some, some mornings I'd wake up and I would just feel absolutely like rubbish. And just the last thing I wanted to do was get out of bed and face the world. And, you know, I would get up to write. I would get up to write about how horrible I felt. And in that process of writing how horrible I felt, I felt better. I was out of bed and I had started my day and the engine had started, you know, the life force had started and wasn't there prior to writing. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was my motor and it got me going. And, and then it, and then it sort of, I, I took it with me everywhere I went. 
because I had this very lonely few years, very isolated few years, I had my book, I had my pen, and I think it, it kept me going. It was amazing. That's a very cool story. Vin is fond of saying that the only thing that you have to do to be a writer is write. Uh, and it really helped me you know, when I started writing as well, you know, Vin's a novelist and he's a, he's an award-winning novelist for Pete's sake. And, and here I am, I wanted to write, you know, a 500 word article about living with bipolar disorder. And I just kept saying to Vin, but I can't because I'm not a writer. And, mm. you know, to, to Vin's credit, he just rejected this outright. He's like, that's just the dumbest thing you've ever said. Uh, I think, yeah. he actually well, no, you, you've said a lot of <laughs> dumb things. <but>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, but you're right. It, it's, by doing it, by committing it to paper, by rereading mm. it, it has provided me personally, mm. you know, forget about the people that have read it or the career that spawned from it, et cetera. It gave me personally so much just, I don't know, joy, introspection, and it keeps giving, you know, every now and again, I read something that I wrote five years ago and I think, oh, wow, I remember feeling that way. And now I feel this yes. way. And it, yes. it's, it's exactly. incredible. It's inc I recommend that yeah. anybody do it. And, and, I'm going to say it again. When it was, when the idea of writing was introduced to me, I thought it was ridiculous. I just yeah, absolutely yeah. unequivocally ridiculous. And it is, it is easily, easily the best advice that I've ever been given short of like a yeah. diagnosis and medical treatment. But yeah. Uh, yeah. aside from that, aside from that. So thanks Vin. Sure. It was all you. Glad to help. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, Brent, how long did it take you to, to write this graphic novel? Oh, well, the journaling sort of just segued into the graphic novel, really. But the, the, the graphic novel itself was a good three to four years mm -hmm. of, of writing, working with the artist, page Great. by page. Yeah. And you know, I started with a lot of words. I mean, there was pages and pages of words. And I just loved, as he took those words and turned them into pictures, then my words started disappearing. He had captured what I wanted to say, what I was trying to express, my feelings, the journey. And by the end of it, there's very few words. I mean, some of the panels have yeah. no words. And, yeah, I was so. quite impressed with that too, because it, it is presented in, in an extremely visual way, more than a lot of graphic novels out there are, because you do say so much with, or, or your artist said so much with his, his work here. Very impressive. Mm, thank you. Um, it was a very interesting process in itself, and you know some some things, some ideas, feelings that I really felt um, that I'd captured well in my journals. I was very happy to let go. I thought, no, the pictures say it all. It's great. So, what's the, what is your biggest hope for the book? If if the if 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 the book could do anything that you wanted it to do, what would it be? What's your what's your dream now that it's completed and sort of coming out into the world? What do you, what would you like to see happen? Well, I think the biggest thing I want is people who are depressed to get help and help. There's so much help. There's so many levels of help and layers. I myself struggled for many years to get help, professional help, therapeutic help, family, friends. You know, I was on my own. It was very much part of, of, of depression for me. And I think I'm not alone. I think, you know, I, I read recently that only 20% of people who have depression are actually presenting for help. I mean, that's tiny. And we know the harm depression can, can do, and then the, the suicide stats are, are huge. So I think my biggest hope for the book is that this will encourage people, and perhaps particularly men, to, um, you know, to put their hand up, 
and start seeking help. And because I think without help, you can't, you can't overcome this. You can't do it on your own. No matter how strong right. you are, you know, depression is not something that's too powerful. It is. It take and, you down. Yeah. and you commented too about how this was a, a journey that you were on alone. And, and I think that really speaks to the fact that depression is an extremely isolating disease. And, yeah. and that was yeah. also captured quite well in, in, your, in your book. Yeah. You also had some medical issues during this time. Yes, that's right. Almost forget about that because that was a, that was a breeze compared to depression. Strangely, you know, I had cancer, but it was I was lucky. It was pretty tidy form of cancer. You know, I I dealt with it with surgery, but I did all the right things. You know, I saw the doctors. I was able to talk about it to people. People gave me sympathy. I got support. I did it, and you know, as painful as it was, um, it was a breeze compared to depression. I think a lot of our listeners who have not experienced mental health issues themselves will be surprised by that statement that that cancer was a breeze compared to depression. We sort of have this myth in our society that, you know, depression is easy. Just pick yourself up from your bootstraps, get it together, stop it, cheer Mm. up, that kind of thing. Whereas cancer Mm. is serious. Cancer is for real. And Mm. it's, it's interesting to hear somebody who has experienced both say, Cancer was a breeze. It's just not something you hear very often. Most people don't describe cancer as, as a tidy illness. Uh, so, so, so thanks well, for bringing that up. I think that when I got cancer, I still had the, my life force never left me. I wanted to live and I wanted to do, I wanted to get, well, with depression, it took my life force away. It, it undermined that. So that's the difference and that's a huge thing. Well, we've come to about the end of our show. So Brent, we want to give you the last word. What's the... What would you like to leave our listeners with before we sign off? I think that um, antidepressants are a huge topic and we can't really go there, but I, I, I think my message is about antidepressants and that it is, is that in a way they mask the, num- the fact that there are so many things people can do to help themselves that they need to do as well as taking antidepressants. And um, we somehow have this idea that you go to a doctor, you get an antidepressant and you wait for it to kick in and you, your depression's going to go. It's not that simple. It's a lifetime journey of looking after yourself, doing a whole lot of really simple, practical things around getting help, rest, sleep, diet, exercise, breathing properly, being in good company, really basic human things that our bodies need that we forget about while we wait for this magic pill to kick in. Very well. And I think the fact is, People have got to do a whole lot of stuff and they need help to do it. That's my big message, really. I I love that. There is no shortcut. Help is available, but we have to do our part as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And remember, you can get a week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. Everyone, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com show. Psychcentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. 
You can find more information on Gabe at gabehoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counsellor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.